It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I'm sitting getting changed up to the right. It's Glenn Oddle. I look to the left. It's Ozzy Ardiles. What the heck do they need me for? <laughs> As Danny's walking up to take it, I'm thinking, oh, I wish this was me. I wish this was me. And then Danny misses. And I'm like, oh, I'm next. As a 16-year-old, you can imagine when you've got schoolboy hero and then suddenly you're, you're arrived full time and suddenly you see the headline, the next Glen Yeah, Puts me on cloud nine, but I wish they'd never written it. So, hello, everyone. Here we are for another episode of Off The Shelf with me, Michael Dawson, and my co-host, Paul Miles. How are you, mate? I'm wonderful, Dawes. Thank you very much. And... Uh, all the better for this next this next guest we've got today. He's, uh, he's got quite a story, this guest, and uh, one of the most gifted midfielders we've ever had at this club, I think that's safe to say, in an era when we had a lot of gifted midfielders. I'll let you introduce him, mate. Well, he's an absolute character. One when, when I was playing was all about, always around, uh, and now I'm retired and come back and as an ambassador, I see an awful lot of, of him. And what a player and what a guy. And am I looking forward to these stories? Mickey, great to have you, mate. Great to be here, Michael. Great to be here, Milesy. Mickey, it's great to see you, my friend. The fascinating thing, and this is a story that you told me very early in my time at the club, was your own story about being born and bred in Sunderland, but coming down here very early. And I always thought to myself, God, that's a commitment for a young boy. And how you dealt with that. So... I mean, you can tell us that story, Mickey. Born and bred in Sunderland, what age were you when you came down here? When I came down for the first time, I was 14. <laughs> Easy. My dad came down with me. Uh, the club booked us into a hotel, um, a really top-notch one in Seven Sisters Road. <laughs> what was it called? <laughs> I can't remember the name, but trust me. Was it really top notch? <laughs> no. <laughs> in a, it, at that time it was, because yeah. I'd never really been in a top notch hotel. So it felt like one, but when I look back now and, and I see the area that I was put in, you know, it, it was, as a 14 year old, I thought, God, they must really want me to put me in this hotel. Now I think, God, they didn't really want me. Um, but yeah, no, so at 14, coming with your dad, it was. You, not really the the way to actually approach it because you know you were planning from 14 to 16 i've got two years to sort of get used to um the new environment because i'm going to be coming down full time um so coming with your dad is not good preparation because every time there was a problem i'd turn to my dad and he would solve them um so then at the age of 16 come down full time and that first journey down on the train by myself at the age of 16, getting off at King's Cross Station, having to find the way to the correct platform for the correct train, then getting off at Seven Sisters and walking out into this big place called London, <laughs> looking around and thinking, I, I, scared was, I mean, I was quite a pretty tough cookie as a kid as well. I didn't have much fears. Um, but when I hit London, I have to say I was shaking. I was shaking. I was like... 
I was literally afraid. Um, I'd been told to get on the 157, the 179 and these buses. And I was waiting at the bus stop to catch a bus down to White Hartley. And it was like, oh God, what am I doing? Uh, and of course, because of this fear, it became a real problem to me because I, I 16 years of age, I'm still a kid. Mm. Um, so I, I, I became really afraid of um, walk, walk in the streets. Like when we finished training in, in the winter times, at four o'clock, it's pitch black. And I'd have to finish my jobs at the stadium and walk from the stadium about a 15 minute walk home. I used to walk in the middle of the roads because I couldn't walk by the on the paths in case someone jumped out on me. Wow. At least if they, I was in the middle of the road and they jumped out, I could run and get away from them. So yeah, no, it became a real problem. I got incredibly homesick, um, incredibly homesick. Like um, after a couple of weeks of uh, pre-season, um, maybe it was a good excuse to miss pre-season. <laughs> I ran off home, you know. Um, yeah, Climb down the drain pipe. Yeah. yeah. Climb down the drain pipe from my digs, 11 o'clock at night, bus to King's Cross. And this is a guy who's so afraid, mm. so afraid. But late at night, I'm, I'm making my way back to King's Cross Station and back to Sunderland. Um, but the club were amazing. I mean, I ran off six times in total. The club, wow. in the end, they sent an ultimatum to my parents and they said, look, if Mickey keeps doing this and if he doesn't come back because I'd refuse to go back, then we're going to retain his registration. We're not going to let him play for anybody else. Which one is a great sign that they want me yeah. as well. Um, and of course, then they, they came to Sunderland and struck a deal with my parents that they would allow me home for five days every 10th day, which was incredible. So I'd come back wow. from Sunderland. I'd go home to Sunderland on the Saturday after the youth team game and come back on the Wednesday, ready for the next game on the Saturday. And then I only had 10 days to stay down before I got back. It was so it was great because yeah. the exp I was on 16 quid a week, by the yeah. way, 16 quid a week. And every time I went home to Sunderland, they gave me 100 quid for my parents, for my lodgings for the yeah. five days. They gave me 100 quid expenses and they gave me my train tickets. So I was getting 100 quid a week on top of my <laughs> 16 quid. As a 16 year old? Yeah, Love of it. course. I was, I was trying to run off more. <laughs> going, going back to your younger days in, in, in Sunderland, Mickey, how were you at school? Was football the only, only your goal or academic? How were you? Um, oh, I was genius at maths and English. <laughs> 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 no, I, I, I was reasonably, I was yeah. reasonably okay um, at school. The problem for me was that I only had one love, um, and it was football. And for instance, I'd play football every single day with my mates down the park. But on a Saturday, if Sunderland were playing at home, they would all go down to the game, and I would stay playing football till they all got back, ready to go again. So I'd play by myself all day long. We had a. I was quite lucky. We had some walls so on the outskirts of the park. So I'd position myself. I'd play one-twos off the walls. We had a little cobblestone and a wire mesh fence. And I'd use the cobblestone to run with the ball. And the, the cobblestones would deflect the ball when I was running with it. And I would have to bring it back into my path. I'd play one-twos off the fence, which would trigger different angles off of it. So I might play it in there, but it would come back in. I'd have to react. So it was fantastic, those when they went to the, I used to look forward to them going to the game so I could play by myself. I tell you what, I was the most decorated footballer in history at that time. It's amazing though you say there, your main focus was yeah. football. Mine was the same, Mickey. When I was yeah. at school, look, I always went to school, I was well behaved, spoke too much, but my love for football was the only thing. And I think it stood me in good stead going forward. I know you spoke there about being homesick. I think you'll speak to every academy graduate now they're older and wiser. I think everyone will have been homesick at some point in the, in the, in the time. Uh, well, so many youngsters in my time at the club, there was a guy called Willie Spence. He was so gifted and talented, couldn't cope. He was from yeah. Ireland, yeah. went back home to Ireland and never came back. And he was so gifted. Andy Bradbury, people will remember a guy called Andy Bradbury. He was winger, he was a superb player. Back home to Scotland, you know, mm. it, it is difficult to deal with, but ultimately, the overriding thing is, as you've just touched on, is your love for the game takes over. And if someone's gonna threaten to take the, the sport of football away from you, that's it, there's, there's no choice. But you have to love it, don't you? Oh, you, you have to love it. And I, I, I did, I had two brothers that I wanted to follow in the footsteps. And I, fortunately for me, I never really got homesick. 
because I was following the love and the dream of to be a football. But if you don't have it, you can see why people do get it. But you strike me as someone who you've got a, a personality that's very outgoing, very e extrovert, a very warm and friendly, uh, and you, you sort of, so no doubt you were like that as a youngster as well. So when you came down, wherever you went, yeah. you were able to mix great. I was incredibly shy. I mean, I was like, You'd never believe it now. No, you wouldn't. I was just about to say that, Miles. Everyone, everyone who knows Mickey will be like, really? It's amazing, isn't it? You, it why don't you show up like when you were a kid? <laughs> <laughs> but no, but it's honestly. how your character grows, I guess. Yeah, no, yeah. of course. And, and yeah. you know, the, the great, the fortunate thing, I suppose, rather than a great thing, was that when you put me on the football pitch, I came yeah. alive. I didn't have any yeah. shyness yeah. or I, was, yeah. I wasn't afraid to express myself yeah. because that was, was my platform. It felt like that's where I needed to be. But the minute I came off the pitch, I couldn't speak. And, and we used to have team meetings every Monday after games. And the t we had psychologists every Monday. And the, uh, we used to play on the Saturday, we'd win 3-0, I'd score a goal, get man of the match. And I'd spend the whole weekend worrying about this teammate. Please don't ask me what I've got. <laughs> they used to ask you for your analysis of yeah. the game and uh, your opinions on the game and on your opinions on this, that and the other. And we had two psychologists. And I used to sit there thinking, please, I used to hide at the back. Don't ask me the question. Stand up in front of Glenn Oddle and Steve Perryman and Ozzy Ardiles and, and give them, make your opinion at 19 years of age. It was like, oh, please, I can't talk. Please don't. <laughs> Mickey, tell us, just again, go how does a kid from Sunderland in the mid-70s get scouted by Spurs? How did, it, how did it work? Well, Wilf Dixon, who was the Spurs assistant manager under Terry Neal, um, he, he was born and bred in Sunderland, um, just up the road from where I lived, actually. Uh, I didn't know him, but he had a, a guy up there called Ken Pedderston, who worked in a college, and, and, and Ken used to go around watching all the schoolboy football for Wilf. Um, and he came and watched me, I have to tell you, it got embarrassing because he never missed a single solitary game. And he befriended my dad as well. So yeah. by the time, this was from the age of 11, by the time I got to 14, when I could actually sign for Spurs, there was no decision to be made because yeah. he, by that stage, he'd been round our house for dinner, we'd been round his house for dinner. So there was only one club who were, because you know there was loads of clubs interested in me, Barcelona, Real Madrid, Inter Milan, oh, we AC. Knew, we knew. <laughs> well, Sunderland, now were they not in for it? Sunderland, were in for, uh, Sunderland offered me um, trades and everything. So it just shows you could have gone, it'd have been easy to stay at home. Yeah. All these kind of things. I can't take any, any acclaim for that, Michael. I'm sorry. My dad made the decision. And there was wisdom in what my dad did. My dad was a very clever man. And his wisdom was look, you can go to Sunderland and they'll have a thousand kids there, all local. And it'll be a sort of it or miss situation. Whereas you travel to Spurs, they've got to pay for your expenses to get there, pay for uh, food and drink, and, and and not pay for your lodgings and pay for. It. So they've put a little investment into you. They'll give you more time to grow and develop. So there was logic behind uh, his decision, and thankfully, you know, you know, at the at 16, it didn't feel like the right decision. I was yeah. so homesick. Thankfully, it turned out to be the best decision I've ever made. Okay, Mickey. So you're at Spurs. You've made the move, you've settled. I'm always fascinated. You're going to be soon making your debut. First time you walk into that dressing room. I'm thinking of the names in that dressing room. What was, uh, it, like? What was it like? Well, number one, uh, as a 14-year-old coming down, I, get, I got to train with the first team, and I saw this player training with the first team. I, I went back to Sun and said to my best mate, Kevin, I said, Kevin, I've just seen the best player in the world. I said, this boy is going to be the greatest player ever. Glenn Oddle. I went back in the gym to watch him in the gym. It was like 11 aside. You saw the old gym. It yeah, was yeah, tiny. Yeah. 11 aside. And nobody could get the ball off of him. He was incredible. And so for me to go into the first team dressing room, because you had to earn it. You didn't get given a place in there. You had to earn it. And I was an apprentice, so I used to have to go in and pick all the kit up and everything. And... Oh, I used to hate it. I was so shy. I hated going in. Glenn Oddle was there, Steve Perryman. This is at the age of 16 before Ozzy and Ricky had joined. I used to walk in, John Pratt, people like that, Pat Jennings. I mean, it was just the names, Martin Chivers, the names were obscene. Um, and all I'd just seen them on TV. I'd, you know, I didn't 
So to be this sort of shy young 16-year-old walking into the first-team dressing room for the first time, oh, God. You can't underestimate that what, what a moment that is, can you? I mean, even Mabsy. Do you remember when we spoke to Mabsy? And he said the first time he walked into that dressing room, he, he, said, he said to us, I'd only seen these players on Match of the Day. All top of the pops. All top of the pops. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's a... It um, is, it's scary. I mean, it's almost, you know, it's, it's your first test almost, isn't it? Well, it is. And I think it's character building as well because you have to get through it. And I think that, I don't know how it's done today, but in my day, part of your character building was that to click, to walk into the first team dressing room and get the kit. Mm. And then every now and again, you'd be called in to train with them. You'd have to go in the dressing room and get changed. And you'd be sitting there changing with some of your heroes. Really character building, scary for me because mm. they used to want to talk. And how how talk. were they? Did they hammer you? Yeah. Yeah, it, it was one of them. <laughs> I had the same. And it's funny now, we've just signed, obviously, Brennan Johnson. I used to clean his, his dad's boots. No way. Yeah, so I had uh, David to when I was uh, an apprentice. Did he used to tip you? Oh, honestly, it was unbelievable, Jono. It was a, a, amazing. But I used to walk in and go, Doss, what are you doing here? Get the out. And I'd be turn around, they're like, we're all joking. Pick up the boots and go, clean them this is what it was like yeah. but it was like part of it and, and you you either sink or swim and you interact with these first oh, team players you look up to them and they think we'll look after him and then you're in a changing room with them and they take you under the wing and they, yeah, yeah. they help you out but the banter you, you know I mean as a shy youngster very shy yeah. I, I, I used to go in I used to be scared I used to be scared to go in because I knew I was going to get stick <laughs> yeah. every time and it actually became it was the worst for it um one of the, one of the, Terry Naylor, he was a nightmare. I mean, oh, <laughs> Johnny Pratt was, it, they were all in a nice way. Yeah, there was, yeah, of there course, was nothing, yeah. there was nothing malice, yeah. malicious about it. Um, but John Pratt would get handed out in a really nice way, yeah. but it was, as a youngster, it was really scary. Um, but interesting, John Pratt, who would be given off the verbals, when I made my debut, I actually took John's place. Do you know what? Before the game, uh, I'm not sure it was something that I could ever do if a youngster had took my place, but he came up to me, Mickey, go out there, show them what, show them your skills, show them your passing, show them this, you, they'll love you. It's before the game. And then after the game, I was lying in the bath, sort of relaxing, we'd just won 3 0. And he came up to me and he went, Mickey, joy to watch, mate. They absolutely loved you. Well done. And I thought, that's wow, a, that's stuck a, with talk. me forever. That's a proper pro. That's a yeah. proper pro. A proper pro. And I, from to this day, I've had nothing but the utmost respect just by remembering that one mm. thing about John. He was an absolute proper pro, but the biggest stick giver. I could tell some stories about him, but I'm not. It's too rude. Take us back to your de debut. I mean, that must have been such a proud moment. And, and a, obviously, 3 0 win and against Everton, wasn't it? Yeah, well, it was so lucky, really, because sometimes I look, you look back over your, your career and you think of moments that maybe create a situation for you to have a career. Debut is so important. Exactly. So the week before, for instance, we were playing at Old Trafford, and Keith Birkinshaw told me that I was playing. And we went into the gym on the Friday morning, right? And I was playing at Old Trafford against Man United as a 19-year-old making my debut. And we train in the gym this day. And I get this almighty blister on my big toe. So without going to the physio, I just went and got a needle and I popped it. Um, as you do. Turned poison. I got poison big toe. I couldn't walk, nothing. So wow. I missed out on the debut. They lost 4-0. Yeah, I missed out on my debut. They lost, But they lost 4-0. You know, so dodge on it as what it turned out. And if I'd made my debut and we'd lost four 0 yeah. I might never have got another chance. So the next following week, obviously, I'd got rid of the the, the toe um, because they lost. Not four literally got. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, actually, I did. Yeah. But we we we, we lost four 0 uh, So the following week, I was going to get my place if, as long as I was fit. So I got my place. My everlasting, you know, the Friday when I got told I'm down Tottenham High Road, ringing my mum on the phone and my mum was very excitable. She's screaming down the phone, I've got the phone like this. <laughs> you know, so excited, shouting to my brothers, my sisters, my dad. And on the Saturday, I mean, I'm, I'm not really a nervous type, to be fair, so I never really f experienced pre-match nerves. Uh, but I'm sitting in the dressing room. He names the team, I'm, I'm in, the, in the 11 and I'm getting changed. I can't even remember what number I wore. I think it was seven. But I can't remember. But Aussie's normally seven. So, but I look to the right to me. Eight. 
11? I can't remember. We need Someone to will tell me we anyway. Need to look it up, Mickey. But I'm, I'm, I'm sitting getting changed. And I've got my, to the right, it's, it's, it's Glenn Oddle. I look to the left, it's Aussie Ardiles. What the heck do they need me for? <laughs> you know, I was a similar type of player. I was skillful, yeah. talented, creative. And they've got these two guys. I mean, uh, also my heroes, um, which sort of added to my tension. I wasn't nervous, but I was tense. Um, be not because I was playing in the game, because I was sitting between my two yeah, heroes. Yeah. You know, and, and it's, it's, it's like, it's a surreal scenario to be making your debut with both your heroes. How long does it take you to get to feel part of that, as in, I deserve to be a part of that. I'm still not part of that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't believe that. But yeah, but you're the ringleader no, when you're in there. Yeah, no, How no. do you feel, though? They're absolute legends, not just of this football club, but of the game. Yeah. So did they help you? Absolutely yeah. amazing. I, I would say, you know, people say, oh, if, if, you didn't have, if you didn't have Aussie and Glenn to contend with, you would have had 500 Spurs games. Would I? Because they were part of my education. They were part of um, furthering. I mean, I only believed in the, how the game should be played. It was the beautiful way. They played the beautiful game. So they enhanced my learning process. They sped it up. So while I only ever wanted to play the beautiful way, uh, they sort of taught me how to play the beautiful way. And watching them and playing alongside them, helpful. They were just... Wonderful. Glenn was sort of my schoolboy hero, really. So I saw El I was a bit in awe of him at times. And he was, I mean, oh. he was just breathtakingly yeah. good. Uh, and Ozzy B was my, became my, one of my closest friends, my room partner. Um, but both trapped me like, like I was one of them. Yeah. And I can't give them enough praise yeah. uh, without sounding... Over the top. Well, that must have made you feel ten foot tall as well, in all seriousness, Mickey. Yeah, well, when you know, when you remember Shoot Magazine, they used to do Shoot this. Shoot Magazine. This match, um, they used to do them. this um, list of favorite drink, favorite TV show, favorite this, favorite that, and it was like really big in our day. And I remember when Glenn Oddle did his and sitting uh, sitting reading it, and it's player for the future, Mickey Hazard. Yes. It's like, oh wow, you know, yeah. the Weekly Herald. When they did a, a a big headline in the paper, the next Glen Oddle. Wow. And then there's this big write-up all about me. And at 16, I was like, oh. Unfortunately, it sort of was a cloud over me because I was always remembered as the next Glen Oddle, the one yeah. who could replace Glen Oddle, blah, 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 blah. And do, do, you know, yeah. do you know who would have written that? Me? <laughs> Fenners. Fenners, John Fenley, yeah. yeah. He would have written uh, that, yeah. It was, yeah. it was John Fenley, yeah. He yeah. was around then, wasn't he? Yeah, he was, yeah. The, he was a great yeah. guy, John. Yeah. But as a 16-year-old, you can imagine when you've got a schoolboy hero and then suddenly you're, you're arrived full-time and suddenly you see the headline, the next Glen Oddle. Yeah. Puts me on cloud nine, but I wish they'd never written it because I wanted to be the next Mickey Hazard. Yeah. yeah. Mickey, you touched on how proud you were, but how proud of your family must have been to, to see you make your um, debut. If you knew my mum, Michael, you'd be blown away by her because she was, if she, if someone came knocking on the door, complete stranger, she would say to the complete stranger, do you know my Mickey? <laughs> no, well, he plays for Spurs. <laughs> That's how proud my mum was. She would tell the, oh, she'd be traveling on the bus, telling people on the bus. They were so proud. And you know, when I think of proud moments for me, you know, it's every, parents dream for their children to fulfill their yeah, dreams of course yeah but it's also every parent every child's dream to fulfill their parents dreams for them mm. so when i played in the fa cup final for the first time knowing that my yeah. parents were in the stand my brothers and my sisters you know when i look back i think i wonder what my what they were thinking how proud they were feeling yeah. you know it's great for me. I felt proud that I was playing in this FA Cup final, schoolboy dream fulfilled. But also, what must my parents have been feeling? The pride that they, one of their sons, had achieved what they dreamt for me because yeah. they gave up so much for me. They, they, you know, we weren't well-off family. We were sort of quite poor, really. For them to get me a pair of boots, they had to sacrifice mm. a lot of because they had four sisters and two brothers. 
and they had to miss out while I got the new boots. So they sacrificed loads for me to become what I became. So how were they feeling that day in the stand in the FA Cup final? It must have been um, incredible for them. You touched there, Mickey, on, on, on your brothers. They could play as well. Yeah. But they didn't have the same desire and no. hunger and, and love like we touched on it earlier for, for the game. They would have gone to the Sunderland game. Whereas I'd have stayed behind yeah. playing football, they would have gone to the game. So they were both skillful, both yeah. talented, but they didn't have the same desire. Um, which is, um, you know, just to touch on my mum, for instance, you know, when you win an FA Cup final medal, it's, it's worth quite a lot of money. Um, I mean, a lot of money. And some people's are worth, obviously, the bigger the name you are, you, you know, you get uh, sales for fortunes. Um, and my mum, I left, I obviously gave my parents all my medals. And my mum got them engraved. So they're, they're worthless. They become worthless because it's got your name on it. Yeah. So let's suppose it was worth 25 grand. My mum cost me 25 grand to sell it. Not that I would have sold it. And it's now on display in the main reception at the stadium. But my mum... I never knew that. Yeah, yes. yeah. She, she got it engraved on the back, my name. Mum, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> you know? I wonder what the engraver thought when he's been presented with his FA Cup with his medal, by but, the way. But, but imagine it could have easily been stolen. I mean, yeah. I suppose that in, in those days, well, certainly me, you know, when I people message me today and say, have you got your FA Cup fan shirt? Have you got your, I'll give you five grand for it. I gave them all away. Yeah. I gave my medals away. Yeah. You know, I had no... I was so naive, I had no inclination of what the, the value down the line yeah. the value yeah. would be. Yeah. But then again, yeah. do I regret it? No, because as I, I used to, because I first of all gave my medals to my the club dentist, Peter. Peter, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, and what I, the reason I gave them was because one day I couldn't find my medals anywhere. Nowhere. I lost them for three years, I couldn't find them. Then one day I was gone in the food cupboard, cupboard looking for something to eat. And I put my hand around the, there's my medals. I'd sort of hid them round the corner in the food cupboard. And forgot. Yeah, and forgot, forgot where I put them. <laughs> so my thinking was, well, listen, I was there. I did it. I won them. I don't need a medal to prove to myself yeah. that I did yeah. it. I did it. But someone else, those medals would mean the absolute world to because they'll put them on display. Uh, everybody be able to get to see what an FA Cup winner's medals looks like, a UEFA Cup, what they look like. Uh, and it would mean the world, not just to whoever you give it to, but to the people who come and see them as well. So I felt like I don't need them to prove what I achieved, but it, this would mean more to yeah. them to show and everybody to see. Well, it would to Peter. I've yeah, Peter was. Peter. I gave Peter all, a load of shirts. His, as well. his collection is oh, phenomenal. It's phenomenal. <laughs> I've never seen nothing like yeah. it. Never seen nothing like it. And I've signed a few for him as well. Yeah. But I gave all my, my, my UEFA Cup final shirts, my FA Cup final wow. shirt. I gave them to a, a, a very close friend of mine who moved down to Somerset. Um, I haven't seen him since. <laughs> He's a multi-millionaire. He's, He's now in Miami. Yeah, yeah, he lives in Miami in a five million mansion. Mickey, take us back to the uh, FA Cup final. I mean, obviously, look, this is, this was the big game back in 1982. This is probably the biggest game, apart from World Cup final, European Cup final, probably the biggest game in world football. Everyone used to watch the FA Cup final, right? You're in that dressing room, you're in that tunnel, you're about to walk out. Come on, tell us what it's like. Um, it's, it's strange, because I always remember Steve Perriman saying to me, Mickey, you're going to play in a cup final. He said, I'm telling you, when, you, when you're playing, you won't actually think you're playing. He said, you'll think, you'll think you're up in the sky watching. And he was so right, because no matter what, you, what I did, I did some amazing things. I could have had two goals in the first half. Keep, uh, Peter Hooker pulled off two brilliant saves from me. Uh, and, and I, but I... No matter what I did, no matter what I was feeling, no matter how good a thing I did, I felt like I was in the clouds, looking down, watching. It was a really All strange... A bit surreal, yeah? Yeah, surreal. Really strange feeling. And not that it, it impacted on your performance, but when you came up, when, you, you know, when the game was finished and you're walking up the steps and you're looking back, you're thinking, I can't remember a thing. I can't remember a thing. Yeah, I watched it from the was sky. Was that pressure? 
Nerves? Um, I don't know, because I wasn't, I never experienced a nerve, really, when I, you know, I was a people watcher. I used to sit in a dressing room and I used to look around all the other players and see how they would cope with it because I didn't, I, I yawned a lot, so maybe I got it inwardly. Okay. I yawned so much on match days, but I never felt nervous. And I used to, Gary Mabbott, for instance, I used to watch Gary Mabbott a lot pre-match. He would fold his kit, his towel up, for instance, his match you know, the towel that's put by your, your kid to, for, for the shower afterwards. He would fold it, impeccable, with the sides everywhere matching. And he'd walk away. And he'd come back and he'd undo it. And he'd fold it and fold it to get it in, till it was perfect. And he'd put it back down. Walk away, come back, fold. And I used to think, God, he's so nervous. He's walking away. Anyway, many years later, like I've done with you, Michael, I got to question him in yeah. the q and I was comparing, I got to... So I thought, I'm going to ask him this question. Mabsy, you used to get so nervous during games. Why did you... Uh, before games, why did you fold your towel up, like, immaculately, walk away, come back, unfold it, and then fold... He said, oh, it wasn't because I was nervous. He said, I've got OCD. <laughs> what is that? Yeah. I had all those years thinking he must he was have nervous. Been, yeah. And he had OCD, so he used to do it all of the time. It was incredible to watch. Other players like Gary Stevens, David Kerslake, they used to go to the toilet and get physically sick. It's mad, that. Mad. Yeah. Well, I used to love a hot bath in before a game. I used to get in a hot bath, warm my muscles up, yeah. getting stretched. And you remember Gazzy got in a hot bath one day, he had it scorching hot. And it's, he sweated his socks off, went out and got all dizzy. He couldn't play. You remember that one? Yeah, he couldn't play because he got dizzy. Um, but I used to do it just to warm my muscles up so, so that when I stretched, I had a better stretch. Not that I ever stretched, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I was a people watcher before games rather you than... You never got nervous? No, never got I, nervous. I was a player who got nervous. I think just, was you? Yeah. I think a lot of players get nervous. It's strange with your character, your personality, yeah. which is very sort of... Um, relaxed and uh, you know like you're sitting on here now and you won't experience a nerve because yeah. you're so relaxed I, I tend to look at people like that and not feel that they got nervous I, I think the majority I think there was only Tom Huddleston I used to I, I'd say players you get nervous and they go yeah Tom Huddleston nah I just used to go out and, and perform I just think when, when you cross that white line it was one not to let anyone down the fear of failure for me in yeah, football no. is, is, is a big thing Great especially point. as a defender I mean look you make a mistake even worse for a goalkeeper but you think you just let not just your teammates, mm. not just the managers, the football club, the fans, everyone down. And I, I, I struggle with that. Great point, uh, not letting anybody down, because mm. the only time that I ever felt nervous was when, because my dad lived in Sunderland, never got to see me live much um, because of the journey down. But when he was at a game, when I knew he was coming, I used to get nervous because I didn't want to let my mm. dad down. So I, I get where you're coming from. Yeah. When my dad was coming, I would be, oh, some nights I couldn't sleep because, oh, please let me play well tomorrow so my dad sees me, you know? Because my dad did he was put, my biggest did he, fan. Yeah, he was your biggest no. fan, but did he put pressure? No, no. my mum my, my and dad never... And my I go watch Sunday League football now, grassroots with, with my boy. You know, I, and I listen to parents. I'm like, leave your kids alone. Yeah. All you will do, they just won't want to play. Yeah, I that's right. People say to me, why don't you get involved? Well, my, well, I stand back and let him go and well, enjoy it. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. My dad was someone who... I think all my beliefs on how the game should be played and how I wanted to play the game were down to my dad. Every Sunday morning, for instance, as a kid, he used to come to watch me play on the Saturday for the school or for the town or the county. And we'd go, I'd go in his room on a Sunday morning, sit on his bed and we'd talk football. And he used to talk about these players that I loved to watch. Len Shackleton, the clown prince of football for, who played for Sunderland was like supposed to be unbelievable. Like, and he used to say to me, Mick, this guy, Len Shackleton, was so good, he used to take corners and then run in the middle and edit in. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, I've practised that for my whole life. I've never did it oh. yet. <laughs> Roy the Rovers, yes. <laughs> and, and Do you know what? One day, one day I'm playing a game, right, for my school, and we're playing Southgate School. And my, my dad called me over. Mickey, come. Yeah, Dad, he said, See that boy there? I said, yeah. He said, that's Lynn Shackleton's son. He said, look, that's Lynn Shack. He said, you better play well today. <laughs> he said, you've got to show Lynn Shackleton how good you are. 
We won 7 0. Lovely. Four. Yes. <laughs> but my dad was so into that creative, flair, skillful type player, that type of football, and he passed it all on to me and it's lived with me forever. Okay, Mickey. So early 80s, uh, obviously the team won the FA Cup in 81, retained it in 82. You played. This team is a special team, isn't it? A special team, a special bond. And you're building up now to one of the great nights in the club's history. Many fans would argue the greatest night in the club's history, 1984 UEFA Cup final. Tell us about the feeling around the team at the time because we're winning cups. Wembley was our second home at the time, wasn't it? We were competing for the title, 83, 84. What, what, what was the feeling going into that season? You know, when I look back at that team, I think it's a team that is very synonymous with the traditions of Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. We played with style, we played football the way it should be played, the beautiful game. We had absolute legends and heroes in the team or who would become legends. Um, we had great footballers. Um, it just fit Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. And, and, and then sometimes great teams as the 87 team, mm. sometimes they don't win trophies and, and, and their reputation, once you've won trophies, stays forevermore. The 87 team was an unbelievably Incredible great team, team yeah. but they won nothing. So consequently, yeah. they're never mentioned in the same breath as the, the winning teams. Um, and yet it was an unbelievable team, the 87 team. Unbelievable. I, I, I was playing for Chelsea and I, I loved watching that team. Um, I even went to the, um, the FA Cup parade yeah, yeah. when we lost. I went, I went to Tottenham High Road and with the kid on my shoulder as disguise. You know, I was playing for Chelsea at the time. Um, so the, the early 80s team was unbelievable footballers first and foremost. But what my everlasting memory of that era will be the togetherness of the old football club. You know, people think the team's got to be together. It's not about the team. It's about the old football club. Mm. It's about the, the laundry lady. It's about the kit man. It's about the painters and decorators. There's people who sweep the stands. It's about everybody. And if everybody's one big happy family, it's, you have a much greater chance of being successful. Uh, and my everlasting memory of that era was the togetherness of the old, everybody. Everybody was pulling the same way. Uh, and, and in some ways, I think it was maybe easy for everybody to pull the same way because there were such incredible footballers. Um, you know, Glenn Oddle, for instance, was absolutely hero-worshipped by the fans. So mm. fans would turn up like two hours before the game to watch him warm up, you know. Um, so the whole um, atmosphere, the feeling that surrounded everything was, was amazing to be part of. And, you know, when you talk about 83, 84 season, um, unfortunately, it was it was blighted with an incredible injury list, yeah. you know. And, yeah. and, and it, Which even affected that final, didn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. When you, you, you go to the final, we had no Glenn Oddle. Ozzy Ardiles was injured and he was he, he could only be sub, maybe play 10 minutes. Gary Mabbitt had to start the game and he had, um, yeah. he needed a hernia operation. Uh, um there was no Steve Perriman who was suspended, suspended after yeah. the first game. Clem. No Ray Clements and no Goff Crooks who, you know, that's five players that would have been picked in the first 11 in that UEFA Cup final. Um, and we had to go without them. But it, for me, the, the fact that we won the competition was a coming together of Keith Birkinshaw in many ways because Keith Birkinshaw, when he joined, when he became manager in 78, uh, he signed Aussie and Ricky, or oh, 77 when we got relegated. Um, he then signed Aussie and Ricky. He, he slowly built this wonderful team, Ray Clements and, and Archibald and Crooks, etc. But he also built during that period a fantastic youth setup, um, which, if you look at the 1984 UEFA yeah. Cup final, from that youth setup, loads we, of homegrown. We had Chris Uton, Paul Miller, Graham Roberts, myself, Mark Falco, Ali Dick. Tony Galvin, like seven, eight players, um, all who came through the youth setup at Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. So, um, you know, if one thing Ozzy Ardiles brought to the football club was he brought, uh, and Ricky, they brought about, having won the yeah. World Cup and being winners in Argentina, they brought this winning mentality and it sort of transformed what was a good group of players into a great group of players, but a, uh, a great group of players who 
developed a winning mentality. Uh, and we were fortunate enough that in 83-84, all these youngsters that were thrust into this UEFA Cup final um, had sort of learnt from these great players, not just about how to be a good player and how to perform as a team, but also um, how to win. Um, and it would have been easy for us to sit back and say, lost five of our starting 11, how are we going to win? We can't possibly win. Um, but because of the upbringing that we'd had over the, the previous years, we were all youngsters who'd played. And, and remember that as youngsters, you know, my reserve team, for instance, we won the reserve combination yeah. three years running. Chris Hewton, Paul Miller, me, Mark Falkwar, Gary Brook, people like that. We won it three years running. So we were, would actually become winners in our own right as well. So when we stepped into the UEFA Cup, it just felt like, to me anyway, uh, and I can't speak for the rest of them, but it felt like we were fated. It was Keith Burke and Shaw's last game in charge when we played the UEFA Cup final. And it just felt like fate was on our side. And even when we went the goal down, you know, we'd smashed them over in the, the away leg. Um, we should have come on with a 3-0 win, but we didn't. Um, but we got back to White Watley and we went a goal down. And But I never dreamt that we weren't winning. I was in the pitch. We were winning because fate was on our side. It was Keith's last game. There was no way in the yeah. world anybody was going to allow us to lose. You know, it was pretty naive in reality. <laughs> but it just gave me a belief that we were winning this. Uh, it wasn't, wasn't even in doubt. So well, When we interviewed Mabs, you say there, Mickey, about everyone coming together, yeah. galvanising it. This is it. the best example of it, and isn't it's, it, really? You, you yeah. talk about the fans when Danny Thomas misses Fact. a penalty. He, he touched on that being such an important impact, timing in the game, that the fans never, ever give up. And you've just touched on it. You never, ever thought you were going to lose. Uh, that's right. The, 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 the ultimately, um, you know, when you talk about the togetherness of a football club, the single most important thing is that the fans are part of that. They are that. They're the most important part of that. If they're pulling the same way and everybody uh, buys into what, what's happening on the pitch, mm. then it's for me, it's the sure route to success. Uh, and, and I think the, you know, the way to look at the reason we won the, uh, the UEFA Cup you know, if you look at it, for instance, the setback, last minute of the game, I go down with cramp. I'm the fifth penalty taker. I'm the fifth penalty taker. And I'm suffering with cramp now. Shouldn't have had the bath. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was a bit warm, that bath. Yeah, that, that, that little bit of sweat, extra sweat that I sweated <laughs> in the bath. Yeah. So, so I'm the fifth penalty taker, but the manager has to put the five names in before you take the first penalty. And I'm suffering with cramp, so he doesn't want to take the chance that I've... Um, that I've recovered. Um, so that was disappointing for me, but absolute joy for Danny because he was going to be the one that potentially would score the winning UEFA Cup game. Uh, and, you know, we Tony Park saves a penalty with 4-3 up with a penalty each to go. And I'm standing on the off-wheel line thinking, oh, this, this should have been me. I'd recovered now, fully recovered, and I was thinking, can't we change it? Can't we change it? I, <laughs> you know, you're walking up, you've got the winning penalty, you're going to be in yeah. history books forevermore. Um, and now I'm going to be the sixth penalty taker. And Danny's walking up and I'm thinking, oh, please score, but please, this could have been me. I could have been in forevermore. And, and the mentality of a footballer is summed up in my mentality at that moment, is that as Danny's walking up to take it, I'm thinking, oh, I wish this was me. I wish this was me. Mm -hmm. And then Danny misses. And I'm like, oh, I'm next. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no, I'm next. You know, so when you're not so in that pressure moment where you're the one that, that, that it's, it's on you, you have to do it. You have to score the pen to win the UEFA Cup. That's big, big pressure. And I'm, I'm missing out on it. And I'm thinking, oh, I wish that was me. And suddenly Danny misses. And now it's on me. I'm like, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> you know, scary. Um, and then, of course, when Danny missed the, uh, and, and I maintain maintain to this day that the, the the big part that fans play in any football match is that they can be a twelfth man, sometimes thirteenth, fourteenth, and fifteenth man as at that moment, 
And I maintain to this day that when Danny missed, the fans won us that cup because they inspired everyone. They lifted Danny, they lifted everyone around us and they inspired Tony to make the save. Um, and it's... Graham Roberts always talks about this moment. I don't like him talking about it, to be fair, but I'll tell you what he always says. He says, yeah, Mickey, who'd suffered cramp, couldn't move, couldn't take a penalty... When Tony Parks made the pe uh, made the penalty save, who's the first to get the Parks <laughs> on the goal line from the off-year line? <laughs> and he suffered cramp and pulled out the penalty shootout. You know, I got pulled out. I didn't, but but it, 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 I was first there. You know, like 120 minutes football. But I have a big regret about that night mm. as well. Big regret about the FA Cup final as well. You know, you will not see one picture of me holding the loft, the UEFA Cup or the FA Cup because I was too shy to actually push okay. myself forward to pick them up. Yeah. So you'll never see a picture wow. of me with either. And it's either a big cup. regret. Big regret, yeah. 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 Because they're the memories um, you keep today, yeah. Mick. Absolutely. Yeah. You, you know, I've, I've since had pictures. I did a, a Q&A at um, Enfield one night. UEFA rang me up to do a tour of all the hospitals in London with the UEFA, the real UEFA Cup, um, because I'd won it. So uh, I went on this tour with UEFA That's all lovely, around yeah. the hospitals, yeah. and I got my picture taken with it. Um, uh, and then UEFA said to me, because I told them I've got an yeah. event on that, they said, would you like us to bring the cup to the the event? So they brought the real UEFA cup to wow. the event this night. Wow. I mean, it was like every fan there. What did you You were like, hello again. Yeah. It was, <laughs> uh, so I got my picture taken with it, but there's nothing replaces it when you've got your kit on. You've got your kit yes. on and you've won it and you're feeling the, um, the elation and the emotion. So I have a real regret that I missed out on a picture and if I could turn back the clock, I would jump. You'd have forward. been in the mix. Yeah, I'd have been yeah, right yeah, there. Right in front. Yeah, too in fact, right. I'd have been taking over the captain's role and picking it up. <laughs> you tell me a, a brilliant story. Got to tell you. can just imagine this story. You tell me a brilliant story, Mickey. So, you for Cup final, done. You know, you've done the. You've got the trophy. You got your medals. You go back into the changing room. Oh, don't. And you got a phone call. Don't. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I, I, I don't think in the history of football it's ever happened. When I was a kid, I used to play football, and I used to play football, and this this guy used to coach us, right? He was a butcher, and he used to give us a bit of, just a little kick around, and he would sort of organise it. And I'm, I'm in the, I hadn't seen him for, or spoke to him for six or seven years. We win the UEFA Cup, right? And we're all celebrating champagne, thing, everything in the dressing room. And the phone rings. Keith Burton answers the phone. Hello? Hello? Is, is Mickey there? Mickey who? Mickey Hazard. Keith says, Mickey, it's for you. What? For me? And it's Eric Robson, the, the, the butcher. <laughs> Mickey! Maisie! How'd you get through to the changing room like night of the UEFA Cup? We're just celebrating a win. And he's like, it's, it's Eric, it's Eric, it's Eric. Mickey, amazing, amazing. You were amazing, Mickey. Best player on the back. I'm like, should I be really doing this? I didn't know what to do or what to say. All the boys are celebrating. I've got this phone call. I mean, unheard of. Unheard of on a league game, never yeah. mind a UEFA Cup final. Amazing, just um, amazing. How did he get through? Who put him through? Yeah. He's probably just rung the club, hasn't he? And someone's gone, yeah, hang on a second. Yeah, Mickey's mate. That's <laughs> <laughs> all his meat from me. <laughs> I'll put you through, just have a chat. It's no problem. Obviously before mobiles, of course. So there's no mobile Yeah, phones. of course. One but, phone but, but, in but, I mean, could have told anything to get through to that. <laughs> have you ever heard of anything like that? I've ever? Never heard, no. Just Even on a friendly. I've always remembered that, Mickey. Yeah, always remember unbelievable. That. Yeah. So, 85. You've had all the success. year before. And then you move across London. To Chelsea, talk us through it. Can't remember it. <laughs> <laughs> you can't. I don't want to. <laughs> no, 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 listen, no, no, I wouldn't. I'll not. I won't be detrimental about Chelsea in any way, shape, or form. They were one of my former employers, and the fans treat me like I was a king over there. They were amazing to me. And you have a bit so of I success have, there as well. I have nothing fair, but yeah. um, praise for the way their fans treat me. Um, how the move came about. Obviously, I joined Tottenham as a schoolboy. Um, was my only club, the only thing I'd ever known. My shyness would never. I'd been approached by numerous clubs over the years. Arsenal even tried to get me uh, when Donau was manager, and and 
Never, I was never interested. And Steve Perriman always used to say to me, never understood why a boy from Sunderland had such loyalty to Spurs. Um, but I joined as a schoolboy. I'd known nothing but the, the chemistry between Tottenham Hotspur Football Club and Mickey Hazard was that we sort of became one when we both, when I saw the way that they played football and the way that I wanted to play football. So we were almost like a, a glove to a hand. We fit perfectly together in the way we saw the game and how, how it should be played. And never gave leaving ever, not one single thought. Even when I wasn't in the team, I never entered my mind that I wanted to leave. We played White, uh, Newcastle at White Hart Lane on the Saturday. Uh, we won 5-1, I scored. Um, we're in the players' lounge celebrating. Then I get to uh, call out the players' lounge from Peter Shreves, who was the then manager. And he said, look, Mick, he said, it's, this has got nothing to do with me. This is down to the chairman. Um, he's accepted an offer. He's had a record offer of Chelsea's record offer off of Chelsea to sign you. He's accepted it. Uh, the club have got sort of um, cash flow problems and they need to offload a player. And he's accepted this um, offer of Chelsea for me. Um, and I was took aback. I, instantly my apprehension set in because of my shyness. I was apprehensive because I didn't want to go to another football club and, and meet new players and have to blend in with them and, and, and uh, get to know uh, about them and their style of play. And uh, this was... So I, I sort of immediately left the players' lounge Got in my car, drove home, down Tottenham High Road, absolutely fuming that they would even... Um, I'd just been picked for England as well. Um, so it was an even bigger surprise, really. I'd just signed a brand-new four-year contract. Um, so I was really taken aback by it all. So I went to the meeting on the Monday with absolutely no intentions whatsoever of signing. Um, none. Um, and then John Hollands has given me the... God rest his soul, lovely man, by the way. Um, giving me the spiel about, you know, he wants to build a team around me, put me in the centre of the park, me dictate the play while he builds the team around me. And he's given me all this and tells me what he, how he wants me to play and blah, 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 blah. He watched me in a few games and he remembered this time when I played against him, when I sold him a dummy that... I think he's still not back from it. <laughs> and, um, and I scored this wonder goal against them. I, haven't beat, I beat three men and he was the last man to try and slide in. And I, I went to hit it and he slid in and I took it around. He was still sliding, I think. Uh, you know, and he remembered this goal and talked about this goal and he said, it was always my dream. If I ever got a manager, I was going to sign you, blah, blah, blah. And, and he made me this really, really good offer. Um, you know, they'd pay my removals, they'd give me a car, they'd, give me a £400 a week wage rise. Um, I had no inclination that I was going to sign none. I was like, just let me out of here. Yeah. Let, me, let me get home where I belong. And then he said, and if you write your name on this contract before you leave this hotel today, we will pay this amount. I'm not going to name the amount, but we will pay this amount into your bank account. And I went, what? If I write my name, I'd hardly spoken the yeah, yeah. If I write my name before I leave here, you'll put that amount of money into my bank account. He said, yeah, we will, yeah. I said, where do I sign? <laughs> <laughs> I signed. The next day I went to, I got with off six to travel to the Chelsea training ground at Heathrow. I got there for off seven. We weren't due to start off ten. I sat in my car and all I could think of is, what have I done? What have I done? I've left the, the club that I, I was born to play for. Um, I made a rash decision on the amount of money that they'd offered me. Um, and I vowed that moment that I will never, ever make a decision based on money ever again. Because it turned out the wrong decision in the heat of the, the mm. you know, that moment that it was made, it was the wrong decision because I made it based on money. Um, and I spent the first at least three months of my time there, praying that Spurs would re-sign me, praying that they'd realise they've made a mistake. And, and in fairness, Peter Shreves did try to get me back. He tried to get me back on the cheap. I think they offered 50 grand. <laughs> Chelsea had paid a record fee for me. 
Um, so How much was that, Mickey? 350,000. That was like the... the yeah. Uh, so um, the most they'd ever paid for any player. And if, you know, if you equate it to their record signing now, it's like 110 million. So I was worth yeah, that in my you day. You were worth that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, so um, it ended for me, which was... But, I, you, you know, sometimes you... You dream, you, 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 you know, your dreams keep you going. For me, you know, if you if you look at our motto, to dare is to do, uh, really it's to dare is to dream. Um, you know, I spent my whole life in football dreaming that one day I would be back at Spurs because it was, it was just, it was just my club. It was yeah. just how I played the game and how they played the game and together. And where we, you felt at home. Yeah, where, where I was, it was my home. And um, I remember when they came back to sign me, um, I had a sponsored car with my name on the side at, down at Swindon. And um, they, when I agreed to leave, they said, oh, we, we'll, we'll need the car back. And I thought, it's all right, you can have it back. I'll walk to bloody Spurs, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I'd walk. And I remember uh, doing the negotiations with Spurs as I went in the... Aussie's room to negotiate. He said, what do you want? I said, just give me what I'm on at Swindon. That'll do me. So, <laughs> so he's agreed to this contract that he gave me exactly what I was earning at Swindon. I didn't ask for a penny, uh, nothing. And this was leaving the negotiating room. It makes me laugh to this day. My wife, the phone rang and it was my wife. She said, don't you forget to ask for a car because you've lost your car. <laughs> so I said, oh, Aussie. As it even wants to talk to you. <laughs> and she said, Don't forget a car, Oz. And he gave me a new BMW Lovely. to replace the sponsored car that I had down there. I, I, I was so happy that I didn't even think to ask for a car. I didn't ask for a rise. I just, I was back. You, you was touched back on Ozzy, sorry, Miles, you touched on Ozzy um, then as manager, but let's go back to, you said he was the toughest opponent to play against. Oh. Was he that good? Ozzy. I would say Glenn Oddle is the most naturally gifted footballer that I've ever seen. That doesn't mean he was the best footballer because he had flaws as well. But as pure natural football, he was incredible. Ozzy had the greatest football brain I think I've ever seen or ever played against. And just to let you know how good his brain was, my first game back at Spurs for Chelsea not my first game, sorry, my second game. Ozzy didn't play on my first game back. I got two goals. The second game Ozzy played. Now, I sat in the, the away dressing room and all I could think of was, oh, no, Ozzy knows my game off by art. He's been a major factor in how I play the game. Yeah. He knows everything about me. He knows that I'm going to drop my shoulder to go there or I'm going to do that little drag back there or that trick there or whatever he knows everything about me so I've got to change my game today so when I drop my shoulders to go there now I'm going to drop it there to go there you know so I'm working out plans how I'm going to beat him right was he's in the other room thinking Mickey's a clever footballer he's going to be working out a new way how to play against me and he's working out he's going to change his game today so when he does one step over He's not going to do one, he's going to do one, then the other, and then go. So when I was out there doing my tricks, who was there waiting for me? <laughs> you know, he knew everything I'd planned. Yeah. That's how far in advance his brain was. He was an incredible footballer, but much more. You know, when people talk about Uzi Ordeles, you know, we talk about Glenn, we talk about how gifted he was, what he could do with the football, what genius, um, simply mind-blowing what he could do with the ball. When we talk about Uzi, much greater... You know, Ozzy brought, he changed the mentality at our football with regard to winning. Um, his influence on the pitch, he was a winner. You know, he was a great footballer, clever, was four steps ahead of the game. But also the, the, the way he instilled, he had this innate ability to make, he could come here to you, Michael, now, and make, talk to you as a player and make you feel like you were the best player in the world and that you were his best friend. And the reason he's making you feel like you're the best player in the world is because he loves you as a player. 
and you would feel on cloud nine. And he did it. It wasn't just reserved for you because you were a good friend of his. He made everybody feel they were better than they, what they were and that they were a special person to him. He had a knack of making everybody feel better than they were. Mickey, thank you for taking the time out. Being entertaining as usual, top man. Sports Social Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.